Good night or good evening, everyone. As Mike said, I'm Sean. I'm one of the postgrads here. I'm an international student from Jamaica, and I'm doing my DPhil in education. So I'm working on kids who speak Creoles, but are only taught in standard English. So a little bit of justice work there in education and policy. This evening, I get to look at, as we've been saying, Jesus as the God who works justice for us. And I don't know about you, if you can remember the first time you had a sense of injustice. For me, it was probably, it goes back to probably when I was about seven or eight, so maybe in grade three. And in my house, we all had these chores. Everyone had this responsibility that they needed to do. And at that time, for me, it was setting the table for meals. So setting for family meals together. And I remember I had this favorite knife and fork set. Like, I just felt it was perfect for me. It wasn't too chunky. It was just perfect. I was a little bit of an odd child, maybe. But I really liked this knife and fork set. And so I went about my task to set the table. And I set my place first, as you do. So I put the best knife and fork for me, the best cutlery. Everything was done for me. And then I proceeded to, you know, attend to everyone else. And then, as my mom, as she still does, her response was, no, 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 miss. No, not in this house. You learn that you esteem others above yourself in this house, and you set yourself last. And I thought, what is this? But anyway, but in Jamaica, as I should say, you never answer your parents. You don't want to be a fool and answer your parents. So I just said, yes, mommy. And so I had to do it all over. And moreover, she said, my brother, she said, your brother also likes this knife and fork that you have claimed as your own. And so this time you'll give it to him. And I was just saying, let's be real. Did he really like this knife and fork or was it that he just wanted everything that I had? That's how I felt. And so as my mom said, I did that. And as you do as a Jamaican child, I waited till I was out of her sight so I could walk to my room like this and as you do, dear diary, mommy is so unfair, I am leaving. So that was my first, I was trying to think, and that was the first time I really remember feeling that I'm stuck in this family that is just full of injustice and no one cares about my rights in this house. Whether that was right or not, it really spoke to me that from a really early age, we have a sense of when things aren't right, whether they're misinformed or not. But we know, even young children know when there's some amount of injustice. And whether we're Christians or not, we have this really innate desire for things to be made right. One of my favorite authors who talks a lot about um, Justice, Jackie Hill Perry, she offers this explanation for this innate longing for justice in that God is justice. God loves justice and we're made in his image. And therefore we as humans have this innate, we can't help but long for justice, no matter who we are or where we're from. So for my talk tonight, I have about two and a half points. And the first one, is probably the most obvious one that things are very messed up in our world. I think that's really easy to see. Things are not as they should be. And I think the first thing to tell you, first and foremost, is that 
I would not call myself an activist in the way we use the term today, and I don't know everything about social justice, even if I look like I should, based on maybe the color of my skin, but I don't. And so that's not the angle I'm necessarily coming at you from tonight. But I am a worshiper of Jesus and I love Jesus. And I know that his heart is for justice. And so my heart is that his will is done in this earth. So I'm not coming to be, give you a social justice speech. All I have to give you is Jesus tonight and I hope that's okay. So whether you organize social justice rallies or you still have questions about this whole justice thing, we all can agree that things are a bit of a mess, I think. I think that's fair to say. So in preparing, I took a quick scan of the news today, and these are some of the headings I saw. There was a brutal killing of an MP in a church here in England. There's the kidnapping of a group of missionaries in Haiti, where the gang members are asking for a million dollars for each missionary. There's the remaining ban on schooling for girls in Afghanistan. And there continues to be, even though we don't really feel it here, there continues to be vaccine inequity, which is felt strongly in the developing world. And so this frustration we have with this injustice and this tension has become much more amplified, I would say. It has always been there, but much more amplified in, say, the last year. It feels really as if the whole world is groaning, groaning and in pain and longing for justice to be served. But it's almost like we don't know where to look, so we try to exact justice through our own efforts or through some other source. In the last year, I did some research for people who care about numbers. In the last year, justice and its related terms was, were among the top Google searches. Terms like social justice, race, racism. The phrase, Black Lives Matter, was high on the New York Times list of terms that defined our time. Book sales on themes of race, justice, social discrimination increased by 160% in the last year alone. And I'm sure many of us in here, if we took a poll, are some of the people who bought these books, I did, or read these books, borrowed them from a library. So I think it's fair to say that things are messy and that the world is crying out for justice. And it begs the question, what does the church have to say about this? What does Jesus have to say about this, more importantly, on this matter? Which leads me to my second point, that Jesus is anointed to set things right. And so our reading tonight is from Isaiah 61. We looked at this earlier in the summer as a church. And Isaiah 61 is that famous passage that Jesus read in Luke 4 when he read from the scroll in the synagogue. And of all the things he could have read, of all the things, this is what Jesus read. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, 
to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, instead of mourning, a garment of praise, instead of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so Isaiah 61 is a Jesus manifesto. It starts out by telling us that Jesus is anointed, but to do what? He comes to bless and to bring freedom to the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the brokenhearted, the down and out. Jesus is anointed to set things right and no one is left out. Top on his list, the poor. These are the people who are needy, the downtrodden, and those feel, who feel like nothing's in our society, which can be a really strong feeling, especially in cities like Oxford that are so privileged, if we're being honest. And the fact that these are the people who Jesus have on the top of his list should speak volumes to us about our reaction to the poor. Not just poor in terms of money, but poor, in lonely, and those who just feel down and out. Next on his list, we have the brokenhearted. Those who are still reeling from broken relationships, disappointments, and hurt. Then there are the captives and the prisoners. Are they actual prisoners? They could be. But I also think it could be those held in low places by systems of oppression. They could be the abused and the exploited in our society. It could be those bound by addictions of many kinds, which could range from drugs, but also to Instagram, to things that keep us bound, to things that control our ways of thinking. For those of us with wrong and destructive ways of thinking of ourselves that don't reflect the truth of Jesus. Then we have those who mourn and grieve. And this could be mothers who have lost children or mothers who live in fear that their sons will be killed by the police because of the color of their skin. We have widows, the sick, and victims of terrorism, people who live in fear every day. Jesus comes to meet and bring freedom to all of us. He comes and he declares in the middle of the mess, the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, which for the Hebrews meant the time when all slaves were set free and all debts were canceled. That's what Jesus does. He comes to bless. He comes to bring beauty to those deep places in our lives, not just on a global scale, but in our lives, those deep places of disappointment. And he comes to restore joy where it has been stolen. Jesus comes to reorder things. He cares about injustice and it grieves him. So this week, I had the opportunity to speak to a really cool priest. He had, he wears this really cool leather waistcoat. He has these cool glasses. He even was a butcher before he became a priest. I don't know if you know him, Simon or something like that. So I was talking to this priest and we were talking a bit about justice and he referred to Jesus as the freedom fighter, 
the freedom fighter who declares, let freedom ring to the oppressed. And I love that so much because that's exactly who Jesus is for us on a global scale, but in our own lives. Psalm 89 verse 14 says that righteousness and justice are the very foundation of his throne. The very foundation of who Jesus is, is righteousness and justice. And at the cross, Jesus came and he undermined all these systems of oppression and injustice. But he's also calling us in the here and now to also stand with him in defiance of injustice instead of colluding with injustice until the day when he does come and bring full and complete, a complete end to these systems of oppression and everything that is wrong in this world. So until then, with his spirit living in us, he calls us to partner with him in prayer, faith, and action. So for prayer, I have always been struck by Jesus' discipline of prayer. I mean, it was Jesus, but every time you see him, he was somewhere praying. He was in a quiet place praying. Jesus knew the manifesto he had, and he knew that it required prayer. And that always frightens me, to be honest, because if Jesus felt the need to pray, to do what he was called to do, to commune with the Father, then how much more me? How could I ever think of going out to work justice in this world without really sitting at the feet of Jesus first? A big part of our fight for justice, I think, is developing the discipline of prayer. It is essential so that what we do mirrors what we see the Father doing and what Jesus is leading us to, so that we don't go out there and do all these things, but Jesus is really like, I didn't say that, I didn't send them. So we need to align ourselves with Jesus through prayer. Social justice issues like racism and these things are mammoth. They're huge, I think of it like an iceberg, that they go way beyond what we see on the surface. What's below these things, it's sin and wickedness in high places. And so only Jesus, the anointed one, can come and overthrow that and uproot that. All my protesting and my poster, which is good, and my passion, which is great, cannot uproot sin. And so I think the first step in justice is us learning to align ourselves with Jesus in prayer because he's the one who can uproot these things. So in all my, my indignation at justice, which is great, and my passion must be combined with and informed by prayer. The next thing is, fine, I can't just stay in my room and pray, which I tend to be more inclined to, and so that was very convicting for me as I prepared this talk. But we have to also move in faith and action, that there has to be the moment where we get up off our prayer mats and do something. Jesus calls us to trust that he will bring justice. And it might not be the way we think, it might not be fully right here in this life or the way we imagine it, but he will bring justice in the end. And so with his spirit living in us, we're called to act and to reach out to the poor and to the oppressed and the marginalized. Even if our efforts here and now don't fix the world, which they won't because Jesus will. 
Recently, I had two interesting conversations. First with my neighbor, a lovely elderly woman. She saw me biking to church, and she asked me where I was going, so I said I'm going to church, which church, St. Aldate's, and she had two comments. Her first comment was, oh, St. Aldate's. Yeah, they sing like this, like this. And I thought, mm, yeah, yeah. And then her next comment was, they really help people in this city. They do a lot for students in this city. This week, I was in a meeting with my a supervisor of a project I'm working on, and he asked me, what did you do on Sunday? And I said, I went to church. And he, I didn't really want to go much further because I know he's really not into the church thing. And he went on to ask me, which church? So I told him. And he said, you know, I'm not really into the church thing. I don't know about that church culture. But I've lived in Oxford for a long time, and I know that that church, they do things for this community. And that's not to toot our horn and say, we're awesome, but it's to show that when we align ourselves with God, he moves through us, and he reorders things. And as we worship him, we should be seeing more beauty. So as we're worshiping, as my neighbor says, as we sing, we should be seeing more of the beauty of Christ and becoming more like Christ. Our hearts should break more for the things that break his heart. And we should be moving out. It can't just be, I love to sing, it makes me feel better. It is that as I sing and worship, I see more of Christ and I'm moved for the things that move him. And so as I close, I think of one person who I think really embodied the justice fight, who is, I read this book when I was much younger and it completely wrecked me, Cory Ten Boom. And a lot of us have heard of her. She was a watchmaker and during the Second World War, she, hid, she risked her life, the life of her whole family and she brought in these Jews and hid them in the hiding place, which was a little place they built into the walls of their home. And eventually they got found out, there was a traitor and they got found out and interestingly, the Nazis arrested them, the family, but the people who were hiding there never got captured by them. And so they ended up in concentration camps, and her sister Betsy died in concentration camp, and so did her dad. But Corey never died at that time. She's dead now. But after this whole ordeal, where they were treated brutally, in talking about praying and helping the marginalized, she still had this to say. We never know how God will answer our prayers, but we can expect that he will get us involved in his plan for the answer. If we are true intercessors, we must be ready to take part in God's work on behalf of the people for whom we pray. And I just think Corey had such a true vision of Jesus that no matter the cost, she was willing to do what he led her to do. And so those are my few points that we live in a messed up world. Jesus has come to set things right and we get to partner with him until he comes and makes all things right.